In today's show, we are joined by Mark Michelson, Chairman, Asia CEO Forum of IMA Asia. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. And by Hao Zhu, Chief Economist at GTJAI. Good morning, Hao. Hey, good morning. So let's start with this um, rails and ports infrastructure project that was announced on the sidelines of the G20 uh, summit. Is this a viable option or against China's China's Belt and Road? Or is this just something that we should just think separately and not seen as competition for the Belt and Road projects in China? Um, Start with you, Mark. Well, it's tremendous competition, of course, the Belt and Road. Whether in you know in practice it will be, it's hard to tell. But it is part of what's known as the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment, which is uh, of course the U.S.'s plan to develop this. And now the the combination with uh, with not only India but many of the Gulf states, all of whom are members of BRICS, interestingly enough, is uh, you know is is symbolic. Now whether it's going to have an impact or not. It's really hard to tell. You know, it looks promising, but at this point, there's there's a lot to do. But, you know, they do this right in the middle of the criticism of the BRI, growing criticism because of debt debt issues and, and, and unfulfilled projects and that sort of thing. You know, whether those are valid criticisms or not, that's another that's another uh, that's another topic. But at the same time, uh, that's partly why it was done. So symbolically, it's important. Uh huh. Yeah, I think, you know, basically, you know, uh, basically uh, the, the market thinks that this is a clear kind of uh, competition uh, between uh, China, U.S. and also, of course, you know, India and other countries has have engaged into this kind of competition. So I think, you know, uh, from a uh, uh, general or fundamental perspective, you know, every country or many countries in the world, they still need infrastructure. The most important thing still, you know, whether this kind of financing is sustainable. I think, you know, a lot of uh, stuff, you know, uh, concerns uh, uh, surrounding the BRI issues is always that the debt issue. I think, you know, it's not not because of demand issue. The the issue is on the debt side, whether this kind of uh, uh, financing uh, is sustainable. I think, you know, for other kind of uh, uh, infrastructure related related stuff, it's also, also the same. You know, basically, at the end, at the end of the day, we uh, we know that there's a huge demand uh, in uh, of infrastructure in emerging markets. Uh, but the most important thing is that you know who will borrow this kind of debt and who will repay this kind of debt. And uh, I think I think one thing I want to highlight here: don't link the date debt to political issues that will make things more complicated in the future. But isn't this partly being done on political issues? I mean, as Mark just said, that all of these countries are members of the BRICS. Uh, so couldn't they have done that with China as opposed to, say, side it with the US? Um, so surely part of that is down to the po- political side of it. And yeah, we talk about the debt but and how this is all going to be funded. But the whole, in- I mean, this whole in, um, infrastructure regime has come down to the politics, hasn't it? Oh. It, yeah, it is. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, of course, you know, uh, there's a lot of issues talking about, you know, these kind of things. Uh, but uh, overall speaking, I think, you know, uh, we if we combine that, you know, uh, politics, politics and other stuff, you know, uh, together, uh, this will make you know, this kind of topic more and more kind of complicated. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, the political influence uh, or factor dynamics will be still a kind of things kind of be avoided uh, in our uh, discussion, not only today, but also in the future. 
Yeah, as mentioned, James Crabtree mentioned it in one of the segments that you had in, in the run-up to this discussion. This is a little bit separate from, from G20. Of course, it's, it's part of G20, but it's India especially, and the U.S. to some extent, but India taking the lead and taking leadership as um, as the voice of the global south, which is something that uh, Prime Minister Modi has, has mentioned many times before. Of course, he's in the middle of the, his own political campaign domestically, and this is probably going to going to help him in, in that situation as well. And it's part of this, too. You know, uh, Modi uh, invited the African Union, who's always been a, a guest of the G20, to become a permanent member. So, you know, that's 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 another it's another symbolic idea of including them and including them, including this group in in um, in the in the organization. And these this is one of the areas in the greatest need of infrastructure development, as was just discussed. So uh, it's interesting because you talk about India and them taking the lead on all of this. Do you feel that India is now going to be a viable competitor to China? And this is Modi's way of saying, okay, well, in the past, US has always focused on China, but don't forget us because we are going to be a strong nation. And now he's starting to flex some muscles. That's well, that, that's the that's the aspiration. Certainly, it's going to be it's going to be hard because as as one of the members of our of our forum said. Rightly, what's the next China? China's the next China, and in many ways, he, he he's right because of the because of the development there, because of the high quality uh, manufacturing, the skill sets, etc. The the you know the the sophistication of the economy compared to India at this at this point. But certainly, it's going to be a rival and has aspirations to be there. How do you have any thoughts on the I India-China think, you know, situation? Uh, Yes, you know, basically, I think China underestim- underestimates, you know, India's uh, uh, kind of uh, strength, uh, to be honest. I think, you know, basically, a few years back, when we talked about an iPhone, uh, basically, people always think, okay, you know, all, all the iPhone will, will be produced in China. And now I think, you know, the picture has clearly changed. Uh, so I think, you know, for, for China, uh, India may not be, uh, you know, as strong as China in the next decade. But uh, India's kind of a rising competition I think definitely something, you know, become a threat uh, for China. Maybe that's also one of the reasons why a Chinese president didn't really uh, present today's, uh, this year's uh, uh, G20 meeting in India. Well, yeah, I, I, I also, I just want to say that, you know, there have been a lot of announcements about companies going to India, and many of them are, but it's so far a pretty small percentage of, of their of their production, and that includes iPhones. iPhones, at least I think in the foreseeable future, are still going to be made mainly made in China, but we'll see. Well, since we've been talking about China, we had the uh, inflation numbers come up over the weekend, saw a CPI rise a little bit, which took it out of deflationary territory. PPI is still negative, but at least it's moderated. So are these the first signs that China's economy is starting to bottom out and stabilize, or is this just a blip and what is still pretty negative situation over there? Um, I think, you know, uh, from my perspective, there are two things here. You know, basically, uh, when we look at China's inflation profile, that's actually very, very kind of uh, moderated or muted uh, compared to, you know, 5% in Europe, 6%, uh, 4% in the U.S. Uh, so, you know, uh, somehow there looks like it emerged some kind of stabilization, uh, early sign of that, maybe. I think, you know, for, for me, the most important thing is still the property sales. You know, uh, this is relatively easy to do uh, a few study in China. 
you know, basic big cities, you know, how many uh, kind of uh, properties have been sold in the past weekend or in the past few weeks. So I think, you know, that's the most important thing for us in you know, all, all the numbers. I think economic indicators uh, will be uh, focused on or, or focused on the property uh, related stuff. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if we do see some kind of uh, rising transaction, uh, especially at least in the big cities, I think that will be uh, people or the market can be relatively kind of uh, 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 bullish. Uh, but for now, I think, you know, the, the, the sentiment is still sent, uh, mixed. If you look at the dollar CNY, dollar CNH, you can see that how much, how the market price in this kind of China story for now. Yeah, that's that's still the worry. Of course, properties is important. This this might at least make make uh, dealing with inflation a lower uh, deflation a lower priority now. So that's another thing, not if not off the plate, a little bit to the side of side of the plate, but still property uh, debt. Other issues are are still there, and you know the government also has to decide how much action they want to take and what are the ramifications of those. It's not easy, but. Uh, Certainly, they understand the challenges, and uh, that's what we're going to be looking at, I think, going forward. But how do you drive property prices up when you've got this unemployment is- issues with, obviously, youth unemployment at twenty-one, over 21%, exports declining? Uh, I mean, well, okay, you've had CPI increase. PPI is still showing deflationary pressure. How do you drive property prices up? I can't see what they can do. Um, what, what's, what do you think, Howard? Huh? I think, you know, at least there are a few things, you know, the government can do, you know, first of things that, of course, you know, you can uh, reduce down payment and also, you know, basically you can reduce the interest rates. You know, basically, uh, if you lower the interest rates by uh, 100 basis points, I think that will definitely help, you know, uh, the affordability for the Chinese households. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, we don't, we are not looking at, or basically for now, it's too early to say the market or the price will be, will be up. I think you know, the most important thing is that we have to make sure that the property prices can be stabilized and the property transaction could find a new bottom. You know, basically nobody knows the bottom before all these kind of policies, but uh, the market needs to see such kind of bottom to, to re-kind of uh, uh, establish their, their sentiment or their, their, their expectation towards Chinese uh, property sector. Mark? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think that's right. And he deals with it much more than I do. But I think that's the issue. And of course, the matter of confidence. <laughs> there are a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of members of the Chinese. Uh, many Chinese are invested in property, of course, at all different levels. It's very important. And this is the continuation of the impact of of COVID. Now, again, not the not the medical impact, but the uh, psychological impact going forward that affects consumer confidence it affects property and other things and until they see till they feel confident about about the path going forward and that includes includes um, confidence that property is going to recover and there are going to be opportunities there i think it's going to be it's going to be a continuing issue all right well let's move on quickly to the states then um we've got inflation numbers that's going to come out this week but we have heard over i mean on friday that household wealth is now at record levels um, it doesn't look like the economy's sl- uh, slowing down in any in any sense. And does that mean that we're just here for sustained interest rates to be at high levels and maybe potentially interest rates to rise further in the future? Well, I think so. I would say that, you know, the interest rates in the U.S. will be uh, elevated 
for much longer uh, kind of period. So I think for me, it's like another decade for also. Uh, you know, uh, regarding the short-term dynamics, dynamics, I think the most important thing is still two, uh, two things here. One, the oil prices, and also the second thing, the strike uh, in the in the U.S. Basically, both will, are likely to push the inflation uh, higher, uh, given the you know the gasoline price uh, plays quite important role in China, in the U.S. kind of CPI basket. No, I agree. Of course, there's the political aspect, too. There is a presidential election going on. It's been going on much earlier, maybe, than than normal. And and the, the main one of the main issues is the economy and that many people don't feel that they're better off than they were before, even though the numbers suggest that they are. So it's going to be a, a careful game. Although the Fed is supposed to be apolitical. No, no one can be apolitical in this situation. But what it, what is what is that down to? Why are people not feeling that they're better off, even though the numbers are suggesting that they are? Is that because the prices? I mean, because of inflation, and people just feel everything's expensive. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it, a lot of it's inflation, and and people feel that they haven't made much progress in their many that they haven't their salaries really haven't haven't increased, especially in in terms of inflation over the past few years. And of course, again, in the U.S. too, the lingering effects of of what happened during COVID. And so on, and and a lot of it is just the the political divide in the U.S. You can you can see when polls are taken. If you're Democrats, you feel very difficult, different about the economy than if you're Republicans, and um, the actual numbers maybe don't matter as much. And how do you think? Um, again, people are worried about the future in the U.S. I mean, do you think Janet Yellen came out and said she's very confident there's going to be a soft landing? <laughs> so, do you think that is going to be the case? Well, I don't really uh, too worried about the U.S. economy, to be honest. You know, basically, uh, inflation looks like, you know, rel- relatively OK, you know, and uh, I can't say good, but, you know, relatively better than than the past year. Uh, second thing, I think, you know, the AI boom uh, will somehow, you know, help help the economy because in the past we don't we're we're you know thinking within the box. Now, you know, for the U.S. economy, we, we can definitely think out of the box. You know, uh, the AI technology will help many kind of sectors in the future. I, I don't really worry too worry about that. To be honest. Yeah, we were we were gonna we were gonna have a session on. We are going to have a managing uneven growth in our in our forum. And initially, we thought that was going to focus on the U.S. and Europe and and the rest of Asia. But now, as we've just discussed, it's, it's China that we're the concerns are about more than more than some of the other economies. All right. Well, that's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank both Mark Michelson, Chairman Asia CEO Forum, IMA Asia, and Hao Zhu, Chief Economist at GTJI, for coming in this morning. Thank you, guys.